Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive religious community, deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. I'd like to share a word about our service this morning, just to orient you to what we will experience. Today is Remembrance Sunday, our annual beginning of the year ritual service when we remember the losses we've experienced in the past year. Any year brings losses into our lives, but this past year brought so many waves of losses from the epidemic of racism in our country to the COVID-19 pandemic as well as the countless daily losses and changes as our lives and livelihoods shifted so dramatically. In a culture that often fears and avoids death and grief and loss and really doesn't even delve into the spiritual dimensions of loss and grief, we make time in this service to hold the grief and the gratitude and the love that is wrapped up in every loss we experience. And we recognize that in this service, there may be losses from a year or two or three or four years ago or or decades that are touched on. And we hold those as well. We can and we will hold all of those in this service. So in this service, we've created a ritual container through music and word to help us hold the grief and the tears many of us are carrying right now. We will be using a meditative singing bowl three times during this service before we light candles of impermanence, memory, and embracing. And so as the singing bowl sounds, we invite you to rest in that space, to be with whatever feelings come up for you, to trust that the spirit of life and love rests in that space with us, grieves with us, and holds us. So welcome once again to this Remembrance Sunday. your Director of Children, Youth, and Family Ministries. It is good to be together. My colleague, Reverend Molly Hausch-Gordon, shares a story of a memorial service she led where she had the assistance of an unexpected volunteer helper. The woman who had died was very old, and her children and her grandchildren, and even a great-grandchild, were at her graveside that day. And it was that two-year-old great-grandchild who added a new and particularly meaningful element to the ritual of saying goodbye. There are a couple of things I need to explain before I tell you what happened. 
Reverend Molly is a Unitarian Universalist minister and is, as is often the case at UU Memorial Services, this one was mostly focused on remembering the person who had died. Her name was Anne. And after she died, her body had been cremated, which means it was turned to ashes as a way of honoring and preparing it for burial. Then Anne's ashes were placed in an urn, which is a small container with a lid. And Anne's family gathered to remember and celebrate her life at a cemetery where they would bury the urn full of ashes and mark the spot with a stone engraved with Anne's name and birth date and the date of her death. After the memorial service, her family could go back to the cemetery anytime they wanted to and visit the grave and have a special place to think about Anne. So here is Reverend Molly's story about what happened at the memorial before they, before they buried their beloved family member. Molly says, during Anne's service, Family members shared memories as they often do. After each person spoke, they added a sunflower to the, to the gravesite from a big bucket. Anne's eldest son was the first to speak. He shared lovely memories. And when he had finished speaking and laid a sunflower by the urn, my small self-appointed helper saw her chance. Anne's two-year-old great-grandchild crept up to the flower, grabbed it, and took off through the gathered family. She went first to her grandparents. With the concentrated carelessness of a toddler, she tore the petals off the sunflower in chubby handfuls and presented them to grandma and grandpa. I wonder if you can imagine a little child doing that. I sure can. Small children really love to take things apart. Let's see what happened next. Reverend Molly says, I think we were all unsure about whether to be horrified or charmed. But when a toddler gives you something, you take it. So there they sat, Anne's second son and his wife clutching handfuls of sunflower petals, and the service went on. The toddler went on too. Every time someone would speak and leave a flower, she would fetch the fresh flower, like it was her one job, and leave the torn one behind. She traveled through the entire small crowd, distributing sunflower petals into helpless open hands. By the end of the service, if you were looking at the urn, you would see a very sad pile of petalless sunflower heads stacked upon one another, empty and bare. A very sad pile of petalless sunflower heads is one way to think about death and loss. But if you turned in the other direction, you would see a crowd of faces, bemused and sad and joyful and shining with memory. And you would see them all holding open palms full of sunflower petals. This is another way. As with all things, of course, both are true. 
when we lose someone, we weep at the lack and we experience all that is missing as we go about our days. The loss is real and deep. And in the realities of loss, we may also be surprised to find ourselves sitting with handfuls of sunflower petals to learn that there is abundance as well, that we can carry these bright memories into our daily lives, love filling up our hands and spilling over the edge. Love that is now ours to hold and share from open, helpless hands. This story from Reverend Molly has taken root in my heart. I hope that you might remember it too with its beautiful imagery of love spilling over the edge. I hope it might help you when you are feeling a sense of loss and grief at the impermanence of life. All living things die eventually. Our own impermanence and the impermanence of those we love. These are some of the most difficult things in life for us to understand and experience and accept. Love spilling over the edge helps make it bearable. Let's listen now to the sound of the singing bowl, how it starts, how it builds, how it fades, and eventually how it lives on in our memories. first candle for impermanence in honest recognition that nothing lasts forever, that things are always changing. If you carry deep grief and sadness today, know that this will not last forever. If your cup is overflowing with joy, know that this too will not last forever. As Octavia Butler writes, the only lasting truth is change. God is change. We light this candle in recognition of this holy thing to love what death and loss can touch, knowing that impermanence is the nature of being. Franco and Travis, what 
a gift your music is. Thank you. Friends, grief is a peculiar companion. It can be strange and wild, unpredictable and unsettling, raw and beautiful as it reveals love and heartbreak and longing. In many ways, it is countercultural to open a space to name grief and loss and death, to name those things, to hold those things, and not to run away from those things, not to avoid those things. The poet Denise Levertov speaks to this countercultural reality and the power it can have as we embrace and turn toward grief and loss. She writes, ah, grief. I should not treat you like a homeless dog who comes to the back door for a crust or a meatless bone. I should trust you. She goes on to say, grief, you need your own place. You need your own water dish, your own name. So come on in. I've readied a place for you. Readying a place for grief means we will journey with grief. When we open our hearts to the reality of loss, it will take us on a journey. And journeying with grief, depending on its intensity, it can cause us to lose track of time, of the days. It can cause us to lose track of the rising and the setting of the sun. It can cause the normal rhythms and patterns of our lives to feel empty and hollow to feel like there is a planet or a star missing from the constellation that anchored and guided our lives for so long. In almost all cases, grief as it unfolds in our lives is like a stream or a river. Once we surrender to grief, it will carry us. It will carry us in its own time and in its own way. It will hold us. We can trust that grief painful as it is, will meander through memories and laughter and delight and sorrow. It may churn and spill over the rocks of anger and rage and regret. This too can be part of the river of grief. It may cascade over a gigantic waterfall, carving new places, carving new places out in our heart and in our lives. Ultimately, grief connects us to that largest of human communities, to that tremendous community of people that have lost someone or something that they loved dearly. And this past year has been a year of so many losses. We mourn black and indigenous and people of color who have died in disproportionate numbers due to the global pandemic. We mourn the death of black indigenous and people of color who have died at the hands of police, including Rayshard Brooks, Daniel Prude, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery. This past year has included the loss of physically being 
with friends and family, touching, hugging, being close to. It's included the loss of missing graduations and weddings and in-person memorial services, the loss of attending school in person, the loss of so many of the daily rituals and interactions with people that just anchored our lives in ways we weren't even aware until those things were taken away. Many, many of us have lost jobs or housing or businesses. And some of us have lost hope or have felt deep hopelessness at times and have struggled with depression and other mental health conditions and loved ones we know have struggled as well. And in this time, in this service of navigating and honoring loss, we acknowledge the losses our planet has endured due to climate change, the loss of habitat, the loss of populations of birds and wildlife, patterns of weather that have been forever altered. From wildfires to hurricanes to record heat, all of us in all countries are impacted by the realities of global climate change. And we grieve the collective inaction of so many of the countries that are responsible, most responsible for this crisis. And we've lost too many to COVID-19. We've lost mothers and fathers, parent figures, grandparents, aunts and uncles, cousins, children, siblings, friends. Over 350,000 deaths in the United States and nearly 2 million around the globe. Day after day, the list of names grows. It is hard to hold such loss. And it is true that the river of grief carries all of this. The river of grief, the river of loss is full. It is carrying us to places of joy and laughter, to places of sorrow and regret. It is moving in us this morning. So many names, so many beloveds. We hold this together, the spirit of life and love present with each of us, with all of us. And the loss is just as real of our beloved companions those companions who have helped us in this year of isolation and loneliness, our feline family members and our canine family members, those losses are significant and real. We hold each of these losses. For all, all of the beloveds, and all of the fullness and the nuance of those relationships, for all the names that are being shared, that have been shared, 
that are simply resting in the silence of our hearts, not being typed into the chat box. We give thanks. We give thanks for the ways our lives were shaped and touched and molded because of these relationships. And we light, we light a candle for every name that has been named, for every loss typed or spoken or held silently. We light this candle so that the light and the love of those we have lost may shine on in us. And for us, the living, we pray. We pray that the grip of addiction may be loosened, that the weight of oppression may be lightened, that grief may be shared, and that joy may break through, and that love, that love will make every suffering bearable for us all. May it be so, and amen. We light our second candle this morning, the candle of memory for those who are gone, those who accompanied, those who laughed, those who wept and lived and worked and moved among us. We light this second candle, this candle of memory for those who live on in us in memory and story. It feels important. It feels important to say this morning 
that the larger society in which we live is often not so very good at embracing the truth of loss, the reality of death, and at making a place for grief. Here at church this Sunday reminds us that grief and loss are part of what it means to be human, what it means to be alive. And so as we work to create a different story and a different way, it feels important to name what we know to be true about grief and loss, even and especially when it goes against conventional wisdom. Our lives, the lives of those we love, we are here for such a fleetingly short amount of time, and yet we take up such amazingly large places in each other's hearts. Our first candle was the candle of impermanence to remind us of this essential fact of our existence. We grieve because we have known love. And when we lose what we love, that great big empty space needs care and love and time not to be filled or covered over or to be forgotten, but to be embraced. This love lives on in our hearts, in our bodies, in our stories, in our memories. And this is why we light our second candle of memory. Resma Menachem, in his book, My Grandmother's Hands, talks about our need as humans to metabolize our pain. This is the work of grief, to allow our grief to fill us and to take shape in our hearts and bodies so that we might allow ourselves to metabolize, to integrate our loss into our lives, not so that we move on and forget, but so that we move forward in wholeness. Several years ago, I lost two people very close to me over a period of about a year and a half. And since that time, not a week and sometimes not a day goes by when I don't experience their presence in some way. We don't leave loss in the past. The grief and those that we've lost become part of us as we move forward. Different, but still present. We also know that grief is different for each of us, that we all need to find our way through that river. And like a river, grief doesn't follow a linear progression. It doesn't fit into neat categories or stages. And your journey on that river of grief most certainly does not correspond to the length of your bereavement leave, however long that may be. What grief asks of us is care, time, and attention, a willingness to be laid bare, to be laid open, to move through the world for a time feeling as if we had no skin. There are sure to be times when we can predict that grief will appear. Anniversaries, holidays, important times in our lives. And there are just as surely times when we will be surprised by our grief. When a memory arrives unbidden, times that a song or a smell or the gait of a stranger in the distance brings our loss back in an instant. 
times when our grief arrives out of the blue and brings us to our knees. In all the ways that grief unfolds, may we know that it is just as it should be. You who are grieving are not doing anything wrong. And it is particularly important that we know this about grief. We do not hold it alone. So often we think of grieving as a personal or private affair, but nothing could be further from the truth. All who grieve impact those around them, and we know well that holding grief in community is the only way we can hold all of it. What's also true is that this has been a year of uncommon and complicated grief. Our losses have been personal, but they have also been deeply collective. As Adrian Marie Brown recently wrote, everyone I know is grieving either direct or circumstantial loss with no time to come apart and land beyond the loss. We need time to grieve, remember, dream, rest, land. What we haven't experienced in our lifetimes is this many people from this many communities and nations grieving this many people and changes concurrently. We need to learn to grieve together in these conditions. That's a full-time job. She goes on to say that we need to honor our losses and name what hurts and needs healing before we can truly move forward. What goes untouched, unnamed, unhealed becomes the festering heart of the group and blameful dysfunction becomes the cultural norm. She says, I worry about our community our nation, our species, will fester beyond function or recognition if we don't learn to honor our grief and our needs during and beyond this pandemic. And so friends, our great covenant right now and in the days and weeks and months to come is to help each other to live and love and then grieve as well and as fully as we can. To name what needs naming, to heal what needs healing. As we move through this river, may we do so together. Each petal on every flower gathered up, shared into open hands, laid to rest and held in the soft space of our hearts. May it be so, and amen. We cannot bring the dead back to life. We cannot change history, but our grief can inform us. 
our ancestors and loved ones can shape us. I wonder what values and wisdom of the deceased might we embody? The love of family and community, a sense of humor, a deep connection with nature, a desire for justice, a fearlessness about confronting one owns one's own mortality. What central values of the deceased will you take with you into this new year? Take a moment now to bring a loved one to mind. Imagine them sitting next to you or talking to you. What part of them will live on in you? I light our third and final candle for that light which darkness cannot extinguish, for that light and those values that are passed generation to generation that now live in us. Start where you are, head in your hands, cotton in your ears, stone in your heart. Start where you are, ocean in your eyes, tears are like Start where you are, 
say to myself Telling the truth is loving Even when it's hell Start where you are Stretch open your mind Oh, that's how we'll come together can we come together? Cause oh, there is a change coming on. Oh, there is a chance to wake up to what is going on. Where you are. Oh, Ellis, thank you. Thank you for your music. You remind us whether it's with grief or loss or love or change, we just start where we are, head in our hands, whatever it might be, we start where we are. We start in community. We honor what is, and we find that way forward. Thank you. Look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light, are giving off the rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment. The long tapers of cattails are bursting and floating away over the blue shoulders of the ponds. And every pond, no matter what its name is, is nameless now. Every year. Every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads me back to this, says the poet Mary Oliver. The fires in the Black River of loss, whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, 
and together we give, receive, and grow in the universalist spirit of love and hope. Please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.
Good morning, Lauren. Good morning, Justin. Good morning. Hi, Reef. Good morning Hi, to you. Hi, Hannah. Good morning. Welcome. Glad Good morning. You're with us. Hey, Hannah. Hi. What a week it has been. What a troubling, difficult week with this violent armed insurrection at the Capitol, incited by the president with democracy under siege, with the coronavirus surging, and with so many of us wondering what's next as we're just 10 days into this new year. And so, Hannah, I'm really grateful you're with us as one of our care companions this morning. I'm imagining after this service, this um, Remembrance Sunday service, and given the events of the week, there may very well be folks who would like to meet with you after the service. Hannah is one of our care companions. Our care companions are trained by the ministry team to be um, listeners and accompany other congregants as they wrestle with grief or anxiety or worry or spiritual questions. And our care companions are always available after the service. There's a private Zoom room. You can meet with Hannah after the service. Um, and Hannah, just really thank you again for, for being with us this morning. You're welcome. Yeah, Jim should be here too. There should be two of us. We'll, we'll find Jim. We'll get him hooked up as well. So let's get started this morning. Welcome once again, everyone. I see you coming into this worship space and saying hello in the chat box. That's wonderful. Let us know where you're joining us from. It's always a delight to see how far flung we are as we come together in this space. As I said earlier, it has been a horrible, terrifying week, and we condemn the white terrorists who rampaged through the Capitol, seeking to undermine our democracy and the peaceful transfer of power. And I'm grateful. I'm so grateful in a week like this that we can gather together to remember who we are. As we give, receive, and grow together, we remember that we are the people who welcome, affirm, and protect the light in each human heart. We are the people who listen deeply to where love is calling us next. And we are the people who with humility, courage, and compassion act to create a more just world. We do all of these things committed to dismantling the violence of white supremacy culture and then we work for the liberation of black, indigenous and people of color. This is who we are and this is the life we invite you into. I wanna share just a few announcements before I say a few words about our service this morning. Today is the last Sunday to sign up for Sunday small groups, groups that will meet six times beginning on January 24th, right after the service. These small groups, these Sunday small groups are places to build spiritual community, explore the themes and the content in our services and our monthly themes, and they are places to engage in a regular spiritual practice of deep listening. The link to sign up to these groups is in your order of service, which we'll put in the chat box. Also following the service, you're welcome to join us in our fellowship hour, our time of um, connecting with one another and sharing about our lives and what's happening. That includes, the fellowship hour includes a space for black, indigenous, and people of color, and a fellowship hour for all identities. And I'd like to share a word about our service this morning, just to orient you to what we will experience. Today is Remembrance Sunday, our annual beginning of the year ritual service when we remember the losses we've experienced in the past year. Any year brings losses into our lives, but this past year brought so many waves of losses from the epidemic of racism in our country to the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the countless daily losses and changes as our lives and livelihoods shifted so dramatically. 
in a culture that often fears and avoids death and grief and loss and really doesn't even delve into the spiritual dimensions of loss and grief. We make time in this service to hold the grief and the gratitude and the love that is wrapped up in every loss we experience. And we recognize that in this service, there may be losses from a year or two or three or four years ago or, or decades that are touched on. And we hold those as well. We can and we will hold all of those in this service. So in this service, we've created a ritual container through music and word to help us hold the grief and the tears many of us are carrying right now. We will be using a meditative singing bowl three times during this service before we light candles of impermanence, memory, and embracing. And so as the singing bowl sounds, we invite you to rest in that space, to be with whatever feelings come up for you, to trust that the spirit of life and love rests in that space with us, grieves with us, and holds us. So welcome once again to this Remembrance Sunday. Let's begin our time together as we do every Sunday. I invite you to put down what you're holding if you're holding things. And if it's comfortable, you can close your eyes or just soften your gaze. And together we will take three smooth, slow, deep breaths, bringing our bodies and hearts and minds into some kind of togetherness across time and space. Do one more breath together, just slowly in. And out. Mm. It's good to be with you this morning. Let's join Rasana and Nora and our chalice lighting this morning. Please join me in the words for the lighting of our chalice. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love and to help one another. I am Lauren Wyeth, your director of children, youth and family ministries. It is good to be together. My colleague, Reverend Molly Hausch Gordon, shares a story of a memorial service she led where she had the assistance of an unexpected volunteer helper. The woman who had died was very old and her children and her grandchildren and even a great grandchild were at her graveside that day. And it was that two-year-old great-grandchild who added a new and particularly meaningful element to the ritual of saying goodbye. There are a couple of things I need to explain before I tell you what happened. Reverend Molly is a Unitarian Universalist minister and is, as is often the case at UU Memorial Services, this one was mostly focused on remembering the person who had died. Her name was Anne. 
And after she died, her body had been cremated, which means it was turned to ashes as a way of honoring and preparing it for burial. Then Anne's ashes were placed in an urn, which is a small container with a lid, and Anne's family gathered to remember and celebrate her life at a cemetery where they would bury the urn full of ashes and mark the spot with a stone engraved with Anne's name and birth date and the date of her death. After the memorial service, her family could go back to the cemetery anytime they wanted to and visit the grave and have a special place to think about Anne. So here is Reverend Molly's story about what happened at the memorial before they, before they buried their beloved family member. Molly says, during Anne's service, family members shared memories as they often do. After each person spoke, they added a sunflower to the, to the gravesite from a big bucket. Anne's eldest son was the first to speak. He shared lovely memories. And when he had finished speaking and laid a sunflower by the urn, my small self-appointed helper saw her chance. Anne's two-year-old great-grandchild crept up to the flower, grabbed it, and took off through the gathered family. She went first to her grandparents. With the concentrated carelessness of a toddler, she tore the petals off the sunflower in chubby handfuls and presented them to grandma and grandpa. I wonder if you can imagine a little child doing that. I sure can. Small children really love to take things apart. Let's see what happened next. Reverend Molly says, I think we were all unsure about whether to be horrified or charmed. But when a toddler gives you something, you take it. So there they sat, Anne's second son and his wife, clutching handfuls of sunflower petals, and the service went on. The toddler went on too. Every time someone would speak and leave a flower, she would fetch the fresh flower, like it was her one job, and leave the torn one behind. She traveled through the entire small crowd, distributing sunflower petals into helpless open hands. By the end of the service, if you were looking at the urn, you would see a very sad pile of petalless sunflower heads stacked upon one another, empty and bare. A very sad pile of petalless sunflower heads is one way to think about death and loss. But if you turned in the other direction, you would see a crowd of faces, bemused and sad and joyful and shining with memory. And you would see them all holding open palms full of sunflower petals. This is another way. As with all things, of course, both are true. When we lose someone, we weep at the lack and we experience all that is missing as we go about our days. The loss is real and deep. And 
in the realities of loss, we may also be surprised to find ourselves sitting with handfuls of sunflower petals to learn that there is abundance as well, that we can carry these bright memories into our daily lives, love filling up our hands and spilling over the edge, love that is now ours to hold and share from open, helpless hands. This story from Reverend Molly has taken root in my heart. I hope that you might remember it too with its beautiful imagery of love spilling over the edge. I hope it might help you when you are feeling a sense of loss and grief at the impermanence of life. All living things die eventually. Our own impermanence and the impermanence of those we love. These are some of the most difficult things in life for us to understand and experience and accept. Love spilling over the edge helps make it bearable. Let's listen now to the sound of the singing bowl, how it starts, how it builds, how it fades, and eventually how it lives on in our memories. We light our first candle for impermanence in honest recognition that nothing lasts forever, that things are always changing. If you carry deep grief and sadness today, know that this will not last forever. If your cup is overflowing with joy, know that this too will not last forever. As Octavia Butler writes, the only lasting truth is change. God is change. We light this candle in recognition of this holy thing to love what death and loss can touch, knowing that impermanence is the nature of being.
Franco and Travis, what a gift your music is. Thank you. Friends, grief is a peculiar companion. It can be strange and wild, unpredictable and unsettling, raw and beautiful as it reveals love and heartbreak and longing. In many ways, it is countercultural to open a space to name grief and loss and death, to name those things, to hold those things, and not to run away from those things, not to avoid those things. The poet Denise Levertov speaks to this countercultural reality and the power it can have as we embrace and turn toward grief and loss. She writes, ah, grief. I should not treat you like a homeless dog who comes to the back door or a crust or a meatless bone. I should trust you. She goes on to say, grief, you need your own place. You need your own water dish, your own name. So come on in, I've readied a place for you. Readying a place for grief means we will journey with grief. When we open our hearts to the reality of loss, it will take us on a journey. And journeying with grief, depending on its intensity, it can cause us to lose track of time, of the days. It can cause us to lose track of the rising and the setting of the sun. It can cause the normal rhythms and patterns of our lives to feel empty and hollow to feel like there is a planet or a star missing from the constellation that anchored and guided our lives for so long. In almost all cases, grief as it unfolds in our lives is like a stream or a river. Once we surrender to grief, it will carry us. It will carry us in its own time and in its own way. It will hold us. We can trust that grief painful as it is, will meander through memories and laughter and delight and sorrow. It may churn and spill over the rocks of anger and rage and regret. This too can be part of the river of grief. It may cascade over a gigantic waterfall, carving new places, carving new places out in our heart and in our lives. Ultimately, grief connects us to that largest of human communities, to that tremendous community of people that have lost someone or something that they loved dearly. And this past year has been a year of so many losses. We mourn black and indigenous and people of color who have died in disproportionate numbers due to the global pandemic. We mourn the death of black indigenous and people of color who have died at the hands of police, including Rayshard Brooks, Daniel Prude, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery. This past year has included the loss 
of physically being with friends and family, touching, hugging, being close to. It's included the loss of missing graduations and weddings and in-person memorial services. The loss of attending school in person. The loss of so many of the daily rituals and interactions with people that just anchored our lives in ways we weren't even aware until those things were taken away. Many, many of us have lost jobs or housing or businesses. And some of us have lost hope or have felt deep hopelessness at times and have struggled with depression and other mental health conditions and loved ones we know have struggled as well. And in this time, in this service of navigating and honoring loss, we acknowledge the losses our planet has endured due to climate change, the loss of habitat, the loss of populations of birds and wildlife, patterns of weather that have been forever altered. From wildfires to hurricanes to record heat, all of us in all countries are impacted by the realities of global climate change. And we grieve the collective inaction of so many of the countries that are responsible, most responsible for this crisis. And we've lost too many to COVID-19. We've lost mothers and fathers, parent figures, grandparents, aunts and uncles, cousins, children, siblings, friends. Over 350,000 deaths in the United States and nearly 2 million around the globe. Day after day, the list of names grows. It is hard to hold such loss. And it is true that the river of grief carries all of this. In just a moment, we will name those we have lost in this past year. But before we do, we will hold in our loving care those who have asked for our prayers this morning. We hold George Papa John and his family in our prayers. George lost his father Aristotle on Christmas Eve. And we hold this family in our love. And we hold Mark and Susan Johnson. Earlier this week, Mark underwent a kidney transplant, his new kidney donated by his sister. Both Mark and his sister have come through the surgery and they are doing well, but there's a long period of recovery ahead for Mark and we hold Mark and his family in our prayers. And now we will name those we've lost in this past year. As we've prepared for this Remembrance Sunday, we invited you members and friends of the congregation to create a brief video eulogy, honoring and remembering someone you've lost. We invited you to take the time to sit down, to be with this loss, to feel the weight and the texture of the grief and the gratitude, the love and the complexities of this loss. And then we invited you to share a short eulogy, a short video eulogy in three parts, 
First, to share your name and to name your loss. Second, to share something about your relationship with the person that you've lost. And then third, to share what is true for you right now in this moment and or how you will remember the one that you have lost. So let us watch these video eulogies now, holding them with love and compassion and hearts broken open. My name is Martha Easter Wells. I lost my husband, Chris Wells, to cancer in January of 2020. He was an activist for the environment. I am grateful for the many years that I had with him and the tremendous amount of support that I received. Hi, my name is Michelle Edwins, and this year I lost my father, John Goddard. We did not always see eye to eye, but I miss him and I love him. My name is Doug Hicks. 40 years ago, my mother died. I, I regretted not taking the time to really get to know her well. I vowed that would not be the case with my father. My father died this year at 101 years old after living 100 years independently. We were close. I will miss our daily conversations. My name is Kim Kammeyer and my wife, Susan Jack, uh, died of COVID-19 in March. We were together 34 years. I'm Susan Johnson. I lost my father, Robert Block, twice. First, slowly to dementia and recently to COVID. He is gone, but his love is not. I carry his love forward. My name is Wendell Vandersloos. This past year, I lost my close friend, Karen Warren. I will miss her. My name is Julika. And I'm Aliana, and this year we lost my grandma Phyllis, my mother-in-law. She taught me how to play cribbage. And she loved to win. We miss her a lot. I will continue to honor her memory by destroying others at cribbage. <laughs> My name is Richard. My father, Jacques, died in April at the age of 91. His life is a remarkable story. He was orphaned during World War II in Indonesia. After the war, he moved to the Netherlands. Some years later, married to my mother, they moved to the United States. He helped raise five children. I'm sad we cannot talk to each other anymore. I miss my father. My name is Mary Weeks. I lost my husband, Bill Johnson, to ALS on March 3rd of this year. Then the coronavirus and lockdown hit all of us. So the loss and isolation that resulted um, is really hard but we have a lovely, lovely family. Michael and Stephen Weeks Johnson, 
Stephen's family, my daughter-in-law, Aya, and our two grandchildren, Roxy and Riri, and my dear, dear friend and neighbor, Abby Kirshner. They are all a gift, and I am blessed. Thank you. Thank you, dear ones, for these honest, really beautiful and touching eulogies. Thank you. And of course, there are so many others we've lost this year, including Carl Matz, father of staff member Seth Matz. And there are other beloved members of our church community that we have lost as well. In addition to those already named in the video eulogies, I share the names of others in our congregation who have died this year. Robert Benjamin, Kay Shui, Meredith Fally, Rex Gaskill, John Hancock, Donald Ryborg, Beverly Weddle, Judy Young, and Cecilia Newton. We hold these names close, knowing that behind each name is a life, a story, a history, a constellation of relationships. Behind each name is a full and complicated and beautiful human being unique upon this earth. We know that there are others that have not yet been named. And so I invite you now, if you wish, to share in the chat box those you have lost in this past year, or those you lost perhaps a long time ago, but are so very much with you in this Remembrance Sunday service. I invite you to share those names and together we will let the river of grief hold and carry us. So many people, so many lives. So much love and care and grief woven together. Each human being something precious and beloved upon this earth. Each human being, imperfect and beautiful nonetheless, complicated and challenging, sometimes I'm sure frustrating, but beloved nonetheless. The river of 
grief, the river of loss is full. It is carrying us to places of joy and laughter, to places of sorrow and regret. It is moving in us this morning. So many names, so many beloveds. We hold this together, spirit of life and love present with each of us, with all of us. And the loss is just as real of our beloved companions those companions who have helped us in this year of isolation and loneliness, our feline family members and our canine family members, those losses are significant and real. We hold each of these losses. For all all of the beloveds and all of the fullness and the nuance of those relationships for all the names that are being shared that have been shared that are simply resting in the silence of our hearts not being typed into the chat box we give thanks we give thanks for the ways our lives were shaped and touched and molded because of these relationships. And we light, we light a candle for every name that has been named, for every loss typed or spoken or held silently. We light this candle so that the light and the love of those we have lost may shine on in us. And for us, the living, we pray. We pray that the grip of addiction may be loosened, that the weight of oppression may be lightened, that grief may be shared, and that joy may break through, and that love, that love will make every suffering bearable for us all. May it be so and amen. We light our second candle this morning, the candle of memory for those who are gone, those who accompanied, those who laughed, those who wept and lived and worked and moved among us. We light this second candle, this candle of memory for those who live on in us in memory and story.
We are in the river. It feels important. It feels important to say this morning that the larger society in which we live is often not so very good at embracing the truth of loss, the reality of death, and at making a place for grief. Here at church this Sunday reminds us that grief and loss are part of what it means to be human, what it means to be alive. And so as we work to create a different story and a different way, it feels important to name what we know to be true about grief and loss, even and especially when it goes against conventional wisdom. Our lives, the lives of those we love, we are here for such a fleetingly short amount of time, and yet we take up such amazingly large places in each other's hearts. Our first candle was the candle of impermanence to remind us of this essential fact of our existence. We grieve because we have known love. And when we lose what we love, that great big empty space needs care and love and time not to be filled or covered over or to be forgotten, but to be embraced. This love lives on in our hearts, in our bodies, in our stories, in our memories. And this is why we light our second candle of memory. Resma Menachem in his book, My Grandmother's Hands, talks about our need as humans to metabolize our pain. This is the work of grief, to allow our grief to fill us and to take shape in our hearts and bodies so that we might allow ourselves to metabolize, to integrate our loss into our lives, not so that we move on and forget, but so that we move forward in wholeness. Several years ago, I lost two people very close to me over a period of about a year and a half. And since that time, not a week and sometimes not a day goes by when I don't experience their presence in some way. We don't leave loss in the past. The grief and those that we've lost become part of us as we move forward. Different, but still present. We also know that grief is different for each of us, that we all need to find our way through that river. And like a river, grief doesn't follow a linear progression. It doesn't fit into neat categories or stages. And your journey on that river of grief most certainly does not correspond to the length of your bereavement leave, however long that may be. What grief asks of us is care, time, and attention, a willingness to be laid bare, to be laid open, to move through the world for a time feeling as if we had no skin.
there are sure to be times when we can predict that grief will appear. Anniversaries, holidays, important times in our lives. And there are just as surely times when we will be surprised by our grief. When a memory arrives unbidden, times that a song or a smell or the gait of a stranger in the distance brings our loss back in an instant. Times when our grief arrives out of the blue and brings us to our knees. In all the ways that grief unfolds, may we know that it is just as it should be. You who are grieving are not doing anything wrong. And it is particularly important that we know this about grief. We do not hold it alone. So often we think of grieving as a personal or private affair, but nothing could be further from the truth. All who grieve impact those around them. And we know well that holding grief in community is the only way we can hold all of it. What's also true is that this has been a year of uncommon and complicated grief. Our losses have been personal, but they have also been deeply collective. As Adrian Marie Brown recently wrote, everyone I know is grieving either direct or circumstantial loss with no time to come apart and land beyond the loss. We need time to grieve, remember, dream, rest, land. What we haven't experienced in our lifetimes is this many people from this many communities and nations grieving this many people and changes concurrently. We need to learn to grieve together in these conditions. That's a full-time job. She goes on to say, that we need to honor our losses and name what hurts and needs healing before we can truly move forward. What goes untouched, unnamed, unhealed becomes the festering heart of the group and blameful dysfunction becomes the cultural norm. She says, I worry about our community, our nation, our species will fester beyond function or recognition if we don't learn to honor our grief and our needs during and beyond this pandemic. And so friends, our great covenant right now and in the days and weeks and months to come is to help each other to live and love and then grieve as well and as fully as we can to name what needs naming, to heal what needs healing. As we move through this river, may we do so together. Each petal on every flower gathered up, shared into open hands, laid to rest and held in the soft space of our hearts. May it be so, and amen.
We cannot bring the dead back to life. We cannot change history, but our grief can inform us. Our ancestors and loved ones can shape us. I wonder what values and wisdom of the deceased might we embody? The love of family and community, a sense of humor, a deep connection with nature, a desire for justice, a fearlessness about confronting one owns one's own mortality. What central values of the deceased will you take with you into this new year? Take a moment now to bring a loved one to mind. Imagine them sitting next to you or talking to you. What part of them will live on in you? I light our third and final candle for that light which darkness cannot extinguish, for that light and those values that are passed generation to generation that now live in us. Chance to wake up. 
are I say to myself Telling the truth is loving Even when it's hell Start where you are Stretch open your mind Oh, that's how we'll come together Oh, can we come together? Thank you. Thank you for your music. You remind us whether it's with grief or loss or love or change, we just start where we are, head in our hands, whatever it might be, we start where we are. We start in community. We honor what is, and we find that way forward. Thank you. So friends, this morning our offering will support the care ministries of First Universalist Church. These are ministries led by Reverend Arif Mamdani and Reverend Karen Hutt, with a whole wonderful team of church folks as well. And through these ministries, we show and we do care about one another in numerous ways. We accompany one another in grief. We offer these love kits to one another, kits designed to remind you you're not alone with your grief or loss or isolation. We offer We Care meal trains if you've just had a, a child or a new, a new child has come into your life or you've experienced a surgery or recovering at home, church members bring meals to your house so you can focus on what's most important. And of course, we have our care companions as well, members of the congregation who have been trained in the art and practice of listening with a caring and confidential ear and a loving and kind heart. As you can see in the slide, there are a number of ways you can give via your phone, via the Square Cash app from our website. You can mail a check into the church. If you're unable to give, just a blessing and love uh, is a great gift as well. And that is received with a joyful heart. And so as we prepare to give and receive our offering this morning, we remember the candles we've lit today, the candle of impermanence, the candle of memory, and the candle of embracing, embracing once again after the loss, embracing life, and embracing the possibility of love.
Look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light, are giving off the rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment. The long tapers of cattails are bursting and floating away over the blue shoulders of the ponds. And every pond, no matter what its name is, is nameless now. Every year, every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads me back to this, says the poet Mary Oliver. The fires in the Black River of loss, whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal. To hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. Will you please join us in singing Go Now in Peace. Friends, we have gathered this hour to be together, to make space for our grieving, to remind ourselves and each other that to live in this world, you must be able to do three things, to love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. As we go forth, let us extinguish our chalices, knowing that we carry the flame in our hearts. And if you feel moved, please type in the chat, I carry the flame, so that we know that we are carrying the flame together until we meet again. May it be so, and amen. <laughs>